The snow is falling, the nights come early, and you're listening to Burning Rock Radio. Burning Rock Radio is the ongoing story of Ivy Romeo's search for her friend Sam. If you're new to the podcast, we suggest that you listen from the beginning. Chapter 6. Every Page a Pulse. February 2002. When I first went back to college, everything felt new. It felt fresh. I even bought myself a notebook from the school bookstore with the Burning Rock University logo on it. What can I say? It was a great logo. It showed Burning Rock itself with a fire burning behind it. Pretty striking, if not a little bit too literal. Sam's mom designed that logo, Crown said, sliding into the chair next to mine. The classroom was set up with tables and chairs, which meant that instead of being separated by the distance between two desks, we were all able to sit close together and whisper in class. Is that so? I asked, not really caring. They seem to have a family history in this town, I said. Sam's parents both grew up here, Crown replied. They moved away right after Lana was born, raised her and Logan in Seattle. I made a mental note that Sam and Lana had another brother. People seem to like it when you remember their family statuses. Maybe I could even talk about the awesome design their mom drew on my notebook. There was a very real part of me, surprising but real, that wanted to be friends with these people. Also, I spent so much of my childhood feeling lonely and isolated that sometimes I just like to prove that I'm capable of winning people over. Sam suddenly appeared on the other side of me, letting his book bag slouch onto the table and pulling out his laptop. Hey, Ivy. Did you see that you're in Crown's column in the student paper this morning? I turned to look at Crown, who was now pretending to be busy with his own computer. Crown? I said. He glanced up. It's not... Then he nodded toward Sam. You'll see. Sam pulled out a copy of the newspaper and slapped it down on the table in front of me. Crown had used the photo of me standing next to the tree. I had assumed that he wanted that photo for personal reference, and I was irritated to see it in this morning's paper. What was the story even about? He told me he thought the claw marks were nothing. Why was he putting it in the paper? I couldn't help but agree with the last night crown. It didn't seem all that important. On the bright side, the paper itself was actually pretty classy. I've seen a lot of bad local papers, but whoever made this thing actually did a good job. Crown's article, complete with a prominent byline, was titled, Local Folklore why we scare each other. The photo hadn't turned out that great, but it did the trick, I guess. It kind of looked like the cover of a Goosebumps novel. I read the first couple lines of the story. It was an opinion column that was written half as a historian, half as a social commentator. Kids were bored in their boring little town, but they were also creative. They were taking ancient stories and adapting them for a new generation. 
It was all very deep and great and all of that, and I found myself irritated that Crown hadn't just shared the idea for this column with me. Why not just talk to me about it? I would have thought it was cool. I'm a reasonable person. So, I said, you're like some kind of reporter for the school? He's actually the editor of the whole thing, Sam replied. One of our editors went off to work for the New York Times. He added that second piece of information like he felt he had to defend Crown's choice of working for the school newspaper for some reason. I actually thought it was pretty cool. Professor Reed walked into the room just then. He walked to the front of the room without acknowledging us or making eye contact with any of us. I evaluated him against the new information I possessed about his family. He did kind of look like Sam and Lana, I guess. His hair was white now, but I could picture it being red once upon a time. He was wearing a pair of what appeared to be ice cream-inspired socks, green with flecks of brown. I leaned over and murmured to Crown, Is he wearing ice cream socks? Almost certainly, Crown replied, much louder. So... They've just got, like, a family obsession with ice cream? I asked. Hey, what are you guys whispering about? Sam butted in. No, Crown replied, ignoring Sam. I think he just bought him to support Sam's shop. Sam's shop? I repeated. I had no idea what he was talking about. Yeah, Sam manages the ice cream shop downtown. That's probably where the socks came from. Are you guys talking about me? Sam whispered. I chuckled. Sam working at an ice cream shop definitely explains some things. Yeah, I'm surprised he hasn't tried to get you to invent an ice cream flavor yet. Crown said this part loud enough for Sam to hear. Sam made a face. Reed turned to look at the class and I reluctantly leaned back in my seat, giving him my attention. I don't think it had fully sunk in that going back to college was going to mean sitting still and quiet for hours at a time. That had been fine the first time around, but I've kind of gotten used to talking when I want to. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to sit quietly for the next three years. When Reed finally spoke up, though, I settled in and resigned myself to my fate. I want to thank you all for being here, Reed said. The fact of the matter is, if you're here, it's probably because you want to be. It's probably because you've worked very hard to get here, in fact. I couldn't disagree with that, I guess. For that reason, Reed continued, I believe you will do well in this class as long as you add one other element. Here we go. I tried not to roll my eyes at the nearly stifling levels of pretentiousness. Reed went on. I hope that you will be vulnerable in the way that you choose to write. I know that perhaps that sounds like a trait that one would need for a poetry class, not so much an essay writing and analysis class. But the truth is simple. Vulnerability is just another word for honesty. And I do expect honesty in this class. I mean, I guess that made sense, but it didn't mean I didn't think he was pretentious. Reed continued. I'm going to say something else you may not have considered. 
He leaned on his desk and it looked a little staged, to be honest. Was he going to slam his fist into it next to make a point? Emily Dickinson, he said, is perhaps one of the most vulnerable, personal, opinionated writers of her era. Believe me, there's a reason that we still assign her poems today. Sam leaned over and whispered, his other class is Poetry 101. He kind of recycles. I nodded. But let me say this, Reed continued. Emily Dickinson was incredibly vulnerable through her poetry. And yet she remains one of the most mysterious writers in history. She didn't sacrifice her privacy for honesty. You don't have to either if you don't want. You don't have to tell me a thing about your real life. But you do have to show it to me in your writing. I cringed on the inside. That was wildly cheesy and almost entirely devoid of meaning. I don't have to share my real life, except for the fact that I have to write it down? Come on. What does that even mean? Reed continued. Now, I would like all of you to pair off and read each other's mini-essays from the syllabus. Pick your partner and exchange your work. Great. I had been so looking forward to this part of the day. By the time I pulled out my essay, Crown had already exchanged his paper with the guy in front of him. That left me and Sam. We exchanged an awkward glance and then exchanged papers. I didn't like sharing my work with people I knew. It always felt invasive, especially when I hadn't planned on sharing it in the first place. I mean, sure. I knew that Professor Reed was going to see it, but that was different. I wasn't trying to impress Reed socially, only academically. Sam, well, I might be trying to impress Sam a little bit. The assignment had been to express a contrary opinion in 300 words or less. I thought the assignment itself was pretty vague. What exactly constitutes a contrary opinion after all? So I decided to basically just do what I wanted with it. We didn't have to include sources or research since this was a diagnostic assignment in order to gauge our writing skills. It was, however, meant to be persuasive. I only had to glance at the title of Sam's paper to realize that we were operating on different wavelengths. My piece was titled, Why Reliant K is a Better Punk Band Than Green Day. Sam's piece was titled, Why I Hate Burning Rock. He had obviously taken this assignment more seriously than I had. I settled in to read the paper, glancing at Sam once. He was already reading mine. Burning Rock is the kind of place that looks good in a guidebook, Sam had written. It has the right amount of restaurants and the right balance of coffee shops and bars and bakeries. If you want to visit with your family, that's cool. If you want to visit by yourself for spring break, that's cool too. But it's not that great of a place to live. You would think that the constant influx of college students and tourists would create some variety. You would think that you would be able to find new and interesting people to talk to all the time. But you can't. Because those people are all on vacation. They're all here to study. 
And at the end of the day, they're going back to where they came from. So instead of creating a diverse and vibrant community, this revolving door of people just creates two separate cliques. There's the tourism and college clique, and then there's the local clique. And these two never mix. Not really. Because the tourist and college students are always going to be the outsiders, and the locals are always going to fold in on themselves and become more insular and more elitist. They're the ones that really belong here, after all. Sam's paper ended abruptly, but I thought it made its point. I finished reading before Sam did. I wasn't quite sure what to think. I guess from a technical standpoint, it was fine, but I couldn't help but wonder if it was coming off as less of a contrary opinion and more of a straight-up rant. On a personal level, though, it opened up a new angle on Sam. It raised some questions, at least. If he hated it here so much, why was he still here? Did he really dislike it that much, or was he just leaning hard into the assignment? Sam looked up. Done? He asked. Yep. Me too. So, first off, I agree with everything except that I think Green Day is obviously a way better band, and I've never heard of Reliant K. Well, that's the opposite of everything I hold dear, so I trailed off. Yeah, well, anyway, good job. Well written. You left out one comma, but... That seems more like a careless mistake than a symptom of a bigger problem, so you're probably good. I laughed. Cool. Well, thanks, I said. I think yours is good, too. I think you made a good point about small towns becoming weirdly insular over time. Um, definitely something I've noticed. Do you really think it's such a bad place to live? Hmm... He frowned like he really hadn't even considered whether he believed what he was writing. I mean, it's supposed to be contrarian, right? But yeah, I kind of think it's true. I mean, you're not planning on living here forever, are you? Well, no, I said. But that doesn't mean it's inherently a bad place to live. He shrugged. The next 40 minutes were spent watching a documentary about the life of Emily Dickinson. Apparently, we were going to hang out on this topic for a while, burrow into it, make a little nest, and live there for a couple years. On the way out of class, Reed gave us our next assignment. He wanted us to read a book of Emily Dickinson poetry and write an essay on her vulnerability. So, I said to Sam as I shoved my books into my bag, your grandpa really does just have the one topic, doesn't he? Yeah, Sam shrugged. He kind of fixates. He'll move on to something else by next week. Probably Hemingway. He's been talking about Hemingway at family dinners a lot. Hey, are those family dinners happening at the ice cream joint by any chance? I joked. Oh, uh, so that's what you were talking about, he said. Yeah. I know a place. In fact, I have a shift right now. Want to come? To work your shift with you? I said. No, just to see it. Yeah, why not? I shrugged. I didn't not want ice cream. 
It kind of cramped my original plan of going home and sleeping during the afternoon break, but I could live with that. I was experimenting with being more spontaneous. It might be good for me to live in the moment more. Maybe not everything has to be planned. Maybe it's okay to burn the candle at both ends sometimes. We arrived at the ice cream shop five minutes later on foot. It really is a tiny town. I was surprised to find that I recognized the neon sign in the window. It was that Spumoni ice cream cone from my dream last night. I guess I must have seen it in passing in the real world and subconsciously worked it into my dream, but somehow it was still kind of jarring. There was a weird, warbly-sounding song coming from the record player in the corner. Something was wrong with it, I think. I thought it sounded kind of haunting, like one of those terrible black-and-white movies with the screechy soundtrack and depressed detectives. Sam immediately stepped behind the counter. He greeted the girl who was currently working and said, Ignore me. I'm just going to grab some stuff. Ivy, what do you want? Uh, chocolate, I said, given that I had no idea what flavors they offered. Chocolate seemed like a safe bet. Dull, he replied. You're calling your own ice cream dull, I said. That seems like it's on you. Why are you serving dull flavors? Well, for dull people, I guess, he replied. I laughed, but I didn't change my order. The shop was small. Most of the tables only had two chairs, though there were a pair of booths in either corner, which would allow for a more classic friend group in the soda shop after school situation. The bar was a vibrant pink, and the countertops were turquoise. The tile floor was black and white, and every fixture and stool in the place was a brilliant, shiny chrome. It was every 50s stereotype given physical form. On top of that, the whole place smelled like sugar. If you don't know what sugar smells like, it smells like waffle cones and taffy shops. I grabbed one of the stools at the counter and waited as Sam scooped ice cream into a bowl. First one's on the house, he said, and handed it over. Thanks. He didn't come back to my side of the counter, but opted to stay behind it instead. So, what do you think of my grandpa's class? He asked. That felt like a trick question. I think his scholarship foundation paid for my school. So it's in my best interest to remain positive in all things related to your family. I replied. Oh. You liked the class that much, huh? He said. Most educational experience of my life, I replied. So, then I guess you'll be attending Reed's scholarship dinner tomorrow. I'd kind of hoped that the scholarship dinner would get canceled or something. Reed had invited me and the rest of the scholarship students to join him at his house for some sort of dinner and cocktail party. I wasn't looking forward to it in the slightest. For one thing, I had already met plenty of people. I wasn't looking for more friends. For another thing, it was a party, and when you're like me, parties unequivocally suck always. I shrugged. Yeah, I'm probably going. Unless I can get out of it. Feels kind of sketchy. He started rearranging the cartons of ice cream and said, It's mostly people you know, if that helps. 
That was a surprise. I didn't know that many people in this town. Who? I asked. Lana and I are going to be there. Are you guys on scholarship? I asked. Reed's scholarship was supposed to be merit-based, and it seemed unlikely to me that two of his own grandchildren would just happen to be the top of their classes. Maybe he had just paid for their college because he was their grandfather? No, Sam shook his head. Reed usually just asks us to help out with the food, and then we hang out. That made sense. Crown is going to be there too, Sam said. And a guy named Brad Carter. Don't know if you've met him yet. That gave me even more of a pause. Wasn't Brad the guy who called into my radio show my first week? It felt like a pretty huge coincidence that all the other scholarship kids were people I already knew. And kind of the only people I already knew. If you were to make a Venn diagram out of the two groups, it would just be a single circle. Wow, this really is a small town, I said. Maybe your paper wasn't so off base. Yeah, tell me about it. If I'm being honest, I'm sure I'll end up going, I said. Do you know how to get there? He asked. No. Lana and I are walking up after work. You can just come with us if you want. Yeah, sounds good, I replied. Thanks. In spite of my self-assurances, I found a lump growing in my stomach at the thought of attending a dinner party at my stuffy professor's house. My brain instantly rushed to the potential excuses I could use to get out of this thing, but I had already told Sam that I would go, so I guess I was kind of stuck. October 2007 As I walk through town with my pie, I become aware that I'm not alone. There are more footsteps just behind me, and there are whispered voices trickling along the streets like water from a fountain. I glance to my left, trying to be casual, and find two college students staring at me. They're probably freshmen. The school doesn't even offer graduate courses as of last year. Just another failure in a long list. Both the kids look away as soon as I look over, but it's too late. I already know. This happens more often than you would expect. People recognize me around here. They know me from my letters to the editor and the articles in the local paper I co-wrote with Crown. Mostly they know that I'm the woman who never managed to find her friend after he disappeared and never quite managed to get over it. I'm like a fixture, I guess. A stump burrowed into the ground long after the forest has been cleared. The next time I look up and find them looking back, I manage a strange smile, and they look away even quicker, darting down some random side street. I don't hold that against them. In fact, I feel kind of sorry for them. I feel sorry that they will never know the terrors that almost destroyed this town. I feel sorry that they're totally in the dark. I feel sorry that, if it ever happens again, they won't see it coming. They'll be clueless and helpless. They'll be easy targets, just like everybody else around here.
Thank you for listening to Burning Rock Radio. Visit us at www.burningrockradio.com and follow us on Instagram at Burning Rock Radio. As always, we appreciate your ratings and reviews. And Sam, if you're out there, we all miss you and hope to see you soon.